I just want to say welcome to Eastside Church. I'm looking around the congregation. I don't know half of you, and I think that's a good thing and somewhat of a bad thing. So I want to invite you, if you don't know us or hadn't talked to my wife and I, this is Liz Barefoot. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. Um, so we'll be up front hanging out to come introduce yourself and say a little bit or whatever it might be. Let me give you a little bit of a report of what's going on this year. First of all, I don't know, we've been here nine years, and I, and I just, you know, it, this is just a praise report because where the Lord is working, he brings provision. First of all, um, when we first got here, the budget numbers were somewhere in the 180 to 200 range. Uh, Kevin Carney was here earlier. Uh, he was one of the, in the first service, he, he was one of the trustees at the time, and, and, uh, just um, just got the final numbers for this year, and it was six hundred and seventy-three thousand. So we, and uh, you guys gave an incredible amount of money to our uh, to the work that God's doing here. That's a come on, let's get a bigger clap than that. Or a shout or something. That's kind of cool. Uh, only sixty-ish thousand of that was toward the building fund, so the rest of that was tithe. And we saved almost 300000 of it. Yeah, somebody say hallelujah. Another big statistic that I discovered this week was that Seattle got less rain than Charlotte. So we needed to stop raining so y'all can pray that it would stop raining so we can actually do some work around here. Uh, because we're sitting on go right now. The, the track hoe out front is putting the water in. Uh, uh, <laughs> which is a good thing. Uh, and if you don't know, we're writing on the walls. You say, oh, I can't believe they're writing on the walls. Well, we're going to tear them down in, in you know, just a couple months. So, so uh, we're going to pray for, for family. We just really feel like God has called us to pray and believe that the fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman availeth much. And we're going to call out these names, and we're going to believe that they have a revelation of the love of God like never before. And our families experience that. And, and, and that would be a good year, wouldn't it? Amen. You know, um, this morning, um, we're going to talk about uh, mystifying freedom is the title of the message. And the reason I did that is, is because <clears throat> uh, so oftentimes, you know, we get this preconceived idea about God. And, and, um, and he always says to us that his ways aren't our ways, his thoughts aren't our thoughts. And so if you're thinking a certain way and you're thinking about God a certain way, you know, you know, unless you're in a relationship with him and he's revealed stuff to you about himself, which is his character and his nature, which is good and loving and kind and merciful and patient and all these things that are in Scripture, um, it's probably a different way of thinking than he actually does. And so it, it's this aligning ourselves with the thoughts and the ways of God. And as I begin to delve into this message, which I had more time to read this week than I normally do because my boy's not home. He's gone, which is the first time that's happened in a long time. He's in college. He's at Lee University. And so we took him up there, and our house is suddenly silent, and the refrigerator is suddenly full. So <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if it's good or bad. But in this reading, I, I just got to doing some stuff. Ravi Zachariah is a is a guy that I've always I've known since Promise Keepers and all. He's just a he, he's 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 from another planet intellectually. He's just a smart smart dude, way smarter than me. 
and uh, he, he travels around and he goes to college campuses and he asks hard questions and he was, I mean, they answering hard questions and he was answering questions like, why does God let good things, bad things happen to good people or why doesn't he stop certain stuff? Why didn't he stop that spider from biting you on the foot, you know? And, and I just want to tell you, I'm going to end the message this way and it's because he loves you. That's a, that's a crazy response. But the reason that, that, he, that, that he allows bad stuff to happen sometimes is because he doesn't interfere with everything. And, 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 and he loves us so much, he wants to reveal his nature and his character to us while we go through the bad stuff. It's not that he, uh, he does the bad stuff. He doesn't do the bad stuff. But he doesn't, he doesn't intervene on some bad stuff. I mean, we see it all the time. And you're always going to see it, and you're always going to go, well, why didn't God do anything about it? Because he didn't set it up that way, and he loves you too much to let it not go on. He's going to, Richard Sullivan went through where the spider bent him on the toe. Y'all know that. He's, he's up here dancing with an amputated toe. I can't believe it. Y'all don't step on his foot. <laughs> he got a shoe on by faith, I think. <laughs> but why didn't God keep the spider from biting his foot? Because he... The Lord taught Richard Sullivan more in, in a short period of time about his character and his nature than he could have ever taught him if it never had happened. You know more about God now than you ever would have known if you hadn't had to go through that process. Wasn't fun, was it? It's terrible. But we understand who God is if we'll look to him. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get to that when we get to. But Robbie's answering all these hard questions, and then I started moving around and hearing other people's point of view on different questions and and, and they were asking stuff like, you know, do you believe that the spiritual gifts are still for the day? And, I, and I'd hear this guy answer it, and I'd hear this guy answer it, and I'd hear this thing about, you know, why does bad things happen to good people? I'd hear this guy answer it, and everybody had different opinions. And you could hear just about every opinion you want to hear. And, and the reason that they're asking the question is because they really want to understand who God is. You know, that, that's our desire is to try to come to an understanding of God. And, and in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, what would happen is people want to see the manifestation of God. They wanted to see the manifestation of God. And so they, they constantly asked for signs. And Jesus constantly got mad at them for asking for signs. Have you, have you ever wondered why Jesus got mad at them for asking for signs? Let me, let me tell you what I think it was. I think it was because he was standing right in front of them. He, he was saying, all the answers to everything you've ever wanted to know is standing right in front of you. I, I, I want relationship with you. I'm standing right here, and all you want is a sign. And the same thing is true for me and you. You see, it's the love of God that he wants to reveal to us. God is love, and he cannot not be love. He, 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 is, he is the essence of love. He expresses himself in love no matter what. He loved us so much that he laid down this life. You were worth so much that he, was, he loved you so much that he died for you. He was willing to, but he knew he was going to resurrect. He knew he was going to pay the price so he could set you free. And then we come to this conclusion of what, and then we define freedom in our own human way, not the way that God defines freedom. And today, what I want to do is I want to help you define freedom the way I see freedom defined in Scripture. 
and, and what it means to actually be free so that we can come to an understanding that it is the love of God that actually he, he's looking for. Jesus said this. He was asked the question, what is eternal life? And Jesus responded to know God and his son Jesus. It's to be in intimacy with him. And so when we come to freedom, we want to come from that perspective. And so I'm going to read Acts chapter 13. The reason I'm going to read it is because it is the gospel that was presented by, by Paul in this particular instance. And he's going to present the gospel. And, and the reason I want to read this story is he presents it, and at the end of it he says this. You can either understand it or not. You can either get, get a hold of it or not. <laughs> it's up to you. Receive it or not. It's up, it's up to you. And, and that's the message of Scripture to us is that I've got freedom for you. I've got freedom from you, but I'm not going to force it on you. You've got to choose freedom. Here we go. Acts chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail in this long, so y'all hang in there with me. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Patmos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Who would name a city those things? But anyway. When they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And then Paul stood up and he motioned with his hand and he said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelled as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it, out of Egypt, now for a time, and out of captivity. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. <laughs> ah, I love this. I love it when it comes to me. You know, it comes back to me. For a time, barefoot. Now, foot up with your ways in the wilderness where there comes a place where you really got to get it. He's, he's saying that to everybody. He's saying that to them. He's saying that to us in Scripture. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, God removed Saul. He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said about David, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. How do you know David was a man after God's heart is because he was a man that was found that would do all of God's will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, 
the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. After John preached, preached that baptism of repentance where he said, there's one coming after me who's not sandals I'm not worthy to wear. If you were here last week, you heard Brandon preach it. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John's preaching this, uh, preaching this baptism of repentance. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should put him to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, nor, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that th through this man, it, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believe is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You need to get a hold of that. I'll come back to that in just a minute. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. But I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. He said, listen to what I'm saying. And it's already prophesied about some of you. You're not going to believe it. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God, the power of God that moves everywhere. There's a message that's coming across about what Jesus did, about the freedom that Jesus brings to us that we desperately need to hear. Freedom oftentimes is taken uh, as if we have the ability to do anything that we want to, you know, that, that we can, we can do, do whatever we want, and that's not, what, that's not what the freedom in Christ means. So let me go over four things that I think as Christians um, we have freedom in. First of all, Christians are spiritually free. Christians are spiritually free. Jesus says this in John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What are you free from? 
you're freed from the law's inability to justify you. You see, sometimes we say, well, we're, we're in the New Testament. We're not on the law. We're under grace. Absolutely right. But the law is the nature and the character of God. God's not saying, whoops, I messed up with that. That didn't really reveal my character or my nature. He's not saying that. He said, it doesn't have the ability to justify. And justification means that it's just as if you'd never sinned. All the law was intended to do was to show you your sin. And Jesus' death on the cross was to give you grace and power over sin and to bring forgiveness. Yes? And so the freedom is free from what the law brings, which is judgment and the inability to make you right with God. You're free to choose it, but you don't have to. It's your choice. You can choose freedom, spiritual freedom. Jesus sets us free and he makes us righteous. He makes us uh, sons and daughters. He does it by his grace instead of the ineffectiveness of the law. So we're spiritually free. Number two, Christians are free from sin's power. You, you're, you really need to get a hold of this. It's, it's a beautiful truth. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law came about so that it could shine light on what sin really was. And it actually flourishes. You need to understand that the law came so that, so that sin would abound. I mean, you would see a lot of it. It would be exposed. So the law exposes sin. But grace abounds much more. The power of God that does what the law couldn't do through the cross. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Christians are free from sin's power by grace. Grace, again, is God's spirit that does more in your life than, 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 uh, than you can do on your own strength. Romans 6, verses 18 and 22 says this, And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Wait a minute. I thought you said I was free. You're free from sin. But you're a slave to righteousness. Now, the problem with Christianity in so many cases is that we constantly condemn ourselves. But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We focus on what we're doing wrong. We're still living under the law because it is exposing our sin. But that's not what God says. God says you're free from that sin. Focus on the righteousness. You see, what happens is if we focus on the wrong thing, which is failure, it makes us fearful to even do what God would require us to do or, or walk in the power of the grace that God has made available to you. In other words, it keeps you from choosing righteousness. And so, and so what you've got to do is you've got to start hanging out with Jesus to actually know what righteousness is. And then when you focus on what he is and who he is and his namesake, what he's about, then you begin to perform that way so that you don't no longer sin. It is, it is the righteousness of God that you need to be a slave to, not your sin. 
So how sin keeps you a slave is condemning you about your failures. And our focus should be righteousness. So you're, you're free from sin. For, from sin's power over you. And you need to be focused on righteousness because you're a slave to righteousness. Why don't you tell like two people, I'm a slave to righteousness. Yeah, that's one person. Do two more. That wasn't enough. I, I need to hear it some more. Now, righteousness is, is important that you know how to define righteousness. Righteousness is what God would do. Sin is what God wouldn't do. It's a, it's a way of thinking or a way of doing that God wouldn't do. Righteousness is a way of thinking and a way of doing that God would do. Well, how do you find that out? Well, you, you have to be in His Word. If somebody tells me they're following God and they're not in the Word or at least meditating on the Word day and night, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think you're a Christ follower. You might be a Christ acknowledger, but it's hard to follow God without actually pursuing relationship with Him. And what we end up doing is coming to church events like this, looking for a manifestation of God, looking for signs and wonders, and not looking for relationship. And He's always been disappointed because we hadn't... Whew, hadn't understood his great love for us. He loves us. He wants relationship with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to understand who he is. He wants us to understand his ways. He wants us to discover our destiny. And it's impossible to do without being in relationship, without his grace, and without focusing on his righteousness. And so he's set us free from sin's power. The next thing he's done, he's, as Christians, he's set us free in order to serve other people. You, you've been set free so that you can serve people in the same love that you've received. Galatians 5.1 says this, Stand fast, stand firm, make your foundation, therefore, in the freedom, the liberty by which Christ Jesus has made you free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What is the yoke of bondage? Depending on the law's inability to make you righteous. Focusing on do's or, or focusing on don'ts and not do's. You've got to focus on what God would do. And as you focus on that, you're not entering into bondage. Entering into bondage is you focusing on the thing that you're failing in. Oh, I, I just stink. I'm terrible. I'm this. I'm that. Can you hear all the negative things we say about ourselves when we fail? And God says, I want you to think about righteousness. I want you to think about it. Don't be entangled again with trying to uh, let the law do something it doesn't have the ability to do. The other thing is, you could be entangled with the same sin you were delivered from. I was at Dennis and Sue's last night. We had dinner with them, and he was telling me his testimony. It was an amazing testimony. But he, he'd, been, he'd been delivered from so much lifestyle stuff. And, and, and how we get entangled back with stuff is start doing the things we did before we were saved. And if we start doing the things we did before we were saved, we're getting back entangled with a way of thinking and a way of doing that's contrary to the ways of God. 
And we cannot continue on that and expect kingdom to come. And so he says, listen, walk in freedom, especially with others. Let others see your freedom so that they can be free too. So we're, we're free to serve other people in that regard. Look at what it says in Galatians 5.13. It says, for you, brethren, have been called to freedom or liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So how do I know whether I'm How do I know whether I'm in the flesh or not? And how do I know whether it's sin or not? Let me give you, let me give you a, you know, let me just give you a good, maybe center point that we can kind of move on. If it's not going to be done in heaven, I, I probably wouldn't do it. If there's an attitude about something that's not done in heaven, I probably wouldn't do it. And I'm saying that especially when it comes to partying. In, in the things of the world. I mean, we live in it. The God, God says, you live in the world, but you're not of the world. Now, the reason I want to address this a little bit, because I think it's important. Are you partying the way you used to party? And, and, and the way you're partying, does it look like the old you? And do you think that that type of attitude and atmosphere is going to be in heaven? You see, God loves parties. He just wants to be the center. He, he wants to be the center of attention. It's not because he has an ego problem. It's because he's got a love problem. He loves us. And so if you're, if you're responding in a way that is outside of what you think is eternal, you can be pretty assured that that is going back to a bondage of sin. And, and doing it in the flesh. So, so make sure that you understand that you've been set free to serve others, but you don't do it out of selfish ambition. Amen? The last one, which is where I want to hang out and see how long I got to hang out. Okay, I'm good. Yeah. Christians are free to love. You've been set free to love. You see, God, God's love, if you look at Ephesians, he tells you about his love. He tells you how big it is. He tells you how deep it is. He, he, he explains to you how un understandable it is. But he's given us the ability and the freedom to, to, to love. He, he set us free to receive God's love. He set us free to understand the love of the Father, that we actually have the ability to grow in our understanding of his love. And he does that through hardship. He does that through hardship. In our, in our hard times, we can cry out to God, and he can, he can let us know his nature and his character, and that he, that he never leaves us or forsakes us, that he's always with us, that he's moving with us. So we're set free to hope in the love of God, and this is what I really want you to understand. We can hope in the love of God. When, when Ravi Zacharias was talking about, you know, why bad things happen to good people kind of deal. Oh, why God doesn't stop it? You would think, Richard, why didn't God stop that spider from biting your foot? You know, that's, that's, that's a, you know, well, why didn't, why did so-and-so, why does, I mean, we got a guy in our church that's, he dealt with cancer. You know, why, why didn't God stop that? And I want to propose to you, it's because he wants to reveal his love to us in the midst of the hardship. And he, and he can't stop those things for everything. I mean, he can't stop you from stumping your toe. 
He, he doesn't intervene in that. But what he says is, he says, now he didn't cause it. He didn't cause it. But he doesn't, inter, he doesn't stop it. Oftentimes. But in the midst of it, he says, he says, I love you. I'm going to love you right in the middle. I'm going to show you who I am right in the middle. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you my nature right in the middle. I'm going to show you how important you are, that the king and the God of the universe is going to be with you. He's going to give you information that you've never had before. He's going to give a revelation that you've never had before. Ken Brown just had cancer on the top of his head. And we get looking for signs and wonders and miracles and all those kind of things, and we're going to pray for them. But I'm going to tell you this. He has a different opinion of what healing is. And the reason he has a different opinion of what healing is is because he almost killed himself. What do you mean? Well, he had this little spot on the top of his head that he just waited and waited and waited and, and proclaimed healing on for so long that it got about that big and it was close to eating through his brain. And he didn't go get it treated. And then he decided that he was going to go get it treated. And he went and got it treated. I want you all to track with me on this. They took a steel. You all have heard me tell it, some of you. They took a steel um, gauze-type material, put it on top of his brain for his skull, cut his skull out, took, took a muscle off his back that was going to mess his golf swing up, put it, put it on his head, took a patch of skin off his leg that big, put it on the top of his head, took a vein out of his neck, stuck it up there so it, the muscle tissue can, can get that blood circulation, and we give man credit for that. Let me tell you, 500 years ago, that was possible. We just hadn't discovered it yet. God created that for the family. It's God that healed Ken Brown. He just didn't do it the way Ken demanded. And in the midst taught Ken more about his nature than he had learned in a long time. Taught him how to trust. Taught him how to walk. Taught him how to love. Taught him how to receive. Taught him so much in the midst of hardship. God doesn't say he's going to take your hardship away. He says there's going to be tribulation. What he says is that in the midst of that tribulation, I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Not only that, but I'm going to work together for good on your behalf, for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. So this is going to come out good because God's good and he's going to reveal his love for us in the midst of the process. And what I told the first service, Richard, was, and I'm just using this, I don't know that this happened to you, but he, I don't know if y'all know, he's, his toe's gone. <laughs> Cut his toe off. And I've, I've prayed, me and Margie prayed, that toe grow back. So, I, I, you know, I'm all for that toe growing back. But oftentimes we demand from God stuff that, he, that he's not ready to do. Let me, t let me tell you what I mean by that. The word of God is true, and you can stand on it. But you've got to make sure that you're doing what God says do as you go. Did I tell you the story of the fish and the money? Have I told that story in this sermon? Good. All right. In, in, in the New Testament, Peter comes to Jesus and there's a tax. And he goes, and, and he says to Jesus, what do you want me to do about the tax? And Jesus said, who's the tax for? And he goes through this thing. And he ended up saying, all right, pay the tax. 
So, Peter, what I want you to do is I want you to go fishing. And when you go fishing, you're going to throw your net on the side of the boat. You're going to catch fish. And in that fish's mouth, you're going to find money. <laughs> Take the money, pay the tax. Now, the reason I want to say that is, is how many of you believe, you know, we, we hear stuff on the Internet and we don't believe it. We think it's crazy. But God does crazy stuff. How many of you think that finding coins in a fish's mouth isn't crazy? You read that on the Internet. Would you say that's stupid? I mean, that's crazy. I don't believe that. That's crazy. I'm blue. So, yeah, but uh, it happened. It's in Scripture. But here's the point that we try to, we try to, we miss. There was a process where Peter had to go. Uh, did he just tell me he wanted me to go fishing, throw my net off the boat, and take a fish, and there's going to be coins in the mouth of the fish. He did, didn't he? I've got a decision i got to make. I got to go fishing. If you don't go fishing, you don't get the coin. You got to move. You got to respond. You got to do. And he's going to work miracles by your doing. And he, but, but, but the whole process was to grow Peter up in a relationship with him where he trusted him. So the miracle happened in the midst of relationship and trust. And that principle is never going to change. Peter could have demanded all day long that tax money without going fishing. And it had never showed up. Because the Lord gave him instruction on how to get it. And he had to do it by faith for it to happen. The reason I say that is, is because I think, I think God and the reason he so adamant about why do you always ask for a sign I'm right here why do you always want the manifestation of the miraculous but you're not interested in pursuing a relationship with me like you ought I think what he was saying to you Richard is is Richard I know I could heal that toe I could make that toe go back I know I, I you know I, I created you I can do that but you got four things in your heart you got you got bitterness you got you got, you got these things right here. And instead of healing your toe right now in this process of relationship with me, I want to heal these four things. And then maybe we'll get to your toe. So oftentimes we don't want to go through those processes. We just want to demand God respond the way we tell him to. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is the love chapter, and this is talking about spiritual gifts. Sometimes we, we let spiritual gifts get so out of whack because we've put so much focus on the gift and not the, not the son. You know, tongues is like way, healing's that way, especially in today's culture in the church. But Jesus is saying, listen, I want you after me. I want you to come after me. Love is patient. Talking about the operation of the miraculous. Love is patient. Why would he be talking about love when he's talking about the miraculous? Because everything is operational out of love. It's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Here's what I want you to hear. 
Love does not demand its own way. You know, when you start demanding things from God, even if it's in the Word, the Word is true, the promises are right, but everybody in Hebrews that was a father of the faith never saw the promises, but they always believed them. And so you believe them, but what's really important is that you walk with God in the process. It says this, love never demands its own way. We're never going to be a church that's going to tell God what he ought to be doing. We're going to pray for the miraculous. We're going to believe in healing. We're, go we're going to pursue God to, to, to move in the lives of people that we love. We're going to put people's names and families and work folks on the wall, and we're going to pray for them. We're going to believe it, and our hope is going to be in the love of God, that his love is enough that they respond to it. Because we can't demand it from God. God still gives them free will. He says, here's the message. The prayer has been made. The pathway has been paved. Jesus has died on the cross. You choose. He's going to do that with every circumstance. God is not. God wants to show off. He's looking for people he can show off through. He found one. It wasn't Saul. It was David, a man after his heart, who was said about David, he will do my will. I want to be found this year as a man who isn't trying to manipulate God, who isn't trying to focus on the miraculous, which can sometimes border on idolatry or sorcery. I want to be a man who, who pursues the Son, and because I know Him, and because His presence is so strong, the miraculous happens all around us. It happens everywhere we go. Why? Because I know the Son, and He knows me. I'm in relationship with Him. His nature and his character follow me wherever I go. I'm, I'm not walking around trying to produce signs. I'm walking around trying to show his love, his great love. And because I'm doing well at showing his great love, he shows off. There's a major difference in posture, and you can see it all over the Internet. I want to be a man that says, Jesus, just give me Jesus. Just give me a relationship with you, God. Teach me how to be like you. Show me how to think like you. Let me understand your love. Let me learn to receive your love. Let me give your love the way you give it to me freely. Let me serve other people with your love. And God, I know that with your love, comes you and you do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think one more story and I'm going to close I'm four minutes and seven seconds this is going to be a three minute story <laughs> uh, 
Francis McNutt. Anybody heard of Francis McNutt? Anybody know who Francis McNutt is? He's a Catholic priest who had a healing ministry. And I've told this story to some of you, so bear with me. It's worth hearing it again. Somebody say amen. amen. This is going to be good. Francis McNutt has his healing ministry, and he's got a room full of people. It's more, more people probably that's in this room, and, 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 and they are praying for people to be healed and whatever God wants to do. And There's a person that's, um, that, that's in a wheelchair that's right in front of them, has a, has a tumor on the side of his head the size of a softball, right, right up underneath his chin in this area. And so they push him forward, and they pray for the tumor to be healed. And, uh, and nothing happens. And so they're, you know, they got all these people, and they're praying, praying, praying. Then they had the men go to, to the basement, and the women go to another room. And they have a group of women playing for healing there, and, a, and then they're playing for the men in the basement. Well, the, the guy comes back, and he pulls his chair up to Francis, and there he is again with the tumor. The size of a softball that's just staring him right in the face. He prays for him to be healed again, nothing. <clears throat> and so he had been from 9 o'clock that morning to about 9 o'clock that night, he had been ministering healing all this time in different venues, and he was worn out. And he was at the airport, and he was wanting to grab something to eat before he got on the plane. And, and as he began to walk to the restaurant, here comes the guy in the wheelchair with the tumor. And Francis says, my thought was this. Oh, my gosh. Here he is again. I've already prayed for him twice. And, he, he, and he's not going to be healed. But, but the fastest way I can get my food and get on the plane is go ahead and pray for him again. So instead of arguing with him about it, I'm just going to pray for him and keep going. He said he laid his hands on him, prayed for him. Tumor went away. Just went to nothing and God said to Francis this is what he said to me he said God says it's me it's not you I'll do it when I want to do it love is not demanding but the fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman avails a lot so make sure that we stand on the word of God Make sure that we believe and trust in him and that everything in that word is true. But what is most important to God this year is the freedom to be in relationship and transformed into his image. And we need to be about that this year. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand for closing prayer? Why don't you reach out and grab, put, put your hand on, I don't know if I, I can't remember when I do, did I do this? Y'all already touched each other with two hands. That was this service. Let's do it again. We got, got your hand on two people. You got two hands. God gave you two hands for a reason. Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh, we got to be more convicted. Father, in the name of Jesus. There we go. We say more, Lord. Reveal yourself. I pray, Lord Jesus. There would, there would be a receptivity to your love, to your love. An, understanding an understanding of your love, of your love. And, a and a giving of the love of God. Of love of God. Let, it Let it be in us, we pray, we pray. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. More, Lord. More, Lord. 
Amen. 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 Our prayer.